Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. news from Phoenix, Arizona, where that has actually occurred. What's the connection between these Phoenix lights and strange triangular craft that have been seen all over the American Southwest and the world? Hello, and welcome to the 329th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Uh, but before we welcome our guest, it is time, of course for our weekly paranormal contest. So this week's question is, where did the two green children appear in the 12th century? Well, Carrie Feldman of Chicago, Illinois, was the first to answer that one correctly, Woolpit, Suffolk, England. Everything's going on in Suffolk lately, isn't it? The green children of Woolpit were two youngsters who appeared, allegedly appeared in the village in the 12th century. They had green-colored skin, and it was later found out that they were brother and sister. Their appearance was normal in all other areas. They spoke an unrecognized language and refused to eat anything but bean pods. Oh, maybe the Green Giant's children. Yeah, right, or ancestors. Eventually, um. their skin lost its green color. When they learned English, they explained that they were from the, quote, land of St. Martin, unquote, which was a dark place because the sun never rose far above the horizon as happens in the Arctic at certain times of the year. They claimed that they were attending their father's herd, as they heard of what, and followed a river of light, quote-unquote, when they heard the sound of bells finding themselves in Woolpit. If the story is true, and of course that's a big if, some of the more unusual theories proposed for the origin of these people were uh, hollow earth children. That we've, never done, we've never covered that on the show, the hollow earth theories, that there are civilizations under our feet. Extraterrestrial children are parallel world children. Of course, as you might guess, we might favor the last suggestion, especially as this, quote, river of light theme seems to turn up in the experiences of travel among parallel worlds at times. Well, I think we've covered that at least a few times with a, di- uh, with a few Hollow different Earth guests. Things? Well, uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Well, we'll, we'll, have to, we'll plan on a show on that. Yeah, well, it wasn't for like a long period of time. It, anything, was, any, it was just any, for, a, for a little bit that we were talked about it. But Nothing's too crazy for us to talk about. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> There's just some stuff that, uh, well, let's not get into it. So this week's question is, in what country would you be most likely to run into the Cherufe? And get that right, win a copy of The Phoenix Lights, a skeptic's discovery that we are not alone by tonight's guest. And just to remind you, the phone numbers this evening, we do take call-ins, and we get yak, and we forget sometimes, but we do take call-ins locally or from Canada, 401-766-1240, or anywhere in the USA, 800-449-1240 or 1240. Or after the show, you can certainly write to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or ben at behindtheparanormal.com if you have answers to our questions, or just have questions that are unrelated to the answer, or whatever that means. Dr. Lynn Duman Kitai is an internationally acclaimed physician and award-winning health educator with a distinguished career spanning over 35 years. She was the chief clinical consultant of the Imaging, Pre- Imaging Prevention Wellness Center at the renowned Arizona Heart Institute in Phoenix. She has appeared as the resident health part reporter for NBC affiliates in Philadelphia and Phoenix, as well as USA Cable. She has put her medical career on hold, however, to pursue the source and meaning of the historic Arizona mass UFO sightings of March 13, 1997, known worldwide as the Phoenix Lights. Since coming forward after seven years of anonymity in 2004 as a key Phoenix Lights witness, she has been featured in hundreds of radio, print, and television interviews, including Nat Geo TV, Fox TV News, Fox in the Morning, and America Live with Megyn Kelly, ABC, CNN, and CBS affiliates, Comcast, NBC Japan, MSNBC, Dateline NBC, the Travel Channel, Discovery Channel, UFO Hunters, and the History Channel. Dr. Lin's internationally award-winning Phoenix Lights documentary and best-selling book, The Phoenix Lights, A Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not Alone, our prize tonight, are considered definitive works on the subject. And her website, www.thephoenixlights.net. So, Dr. Lin Kitai, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you so much, Ben and Paul. It is a pleasure to be here, and so much has happened since we last spoke, I have to tell you. Well, we can't wait to hear it, and it is nice to have you back. It's been quite a while. So, um, 
So let's uh, start at the beginning. What happened on uh, or in Phoenix on March 13th, 1997? Good question. Um, I have to tell you, this, this has become the most documented and actually uh, historic and still unexplained mass sighting in not only ufology but in modern history for sure. On March 13th, when thousands of people were outside purposely to look up at the sky for a glimpse of the Hale-Bob Comet, which was very clear in the northwest sky that evening, beautiful evening, they also caught a glimpse of a mile to two mile wide, in some very credible reports, either were light that the light did not extend outside the edge of these balls of uh, almost like spinning energy, um, were attached to something or had a force field in between. Uh, other people actually saw a craft, and, and just to be clear, uh, the media and certainly debunkers have tried to describe one or two events for the mass sighting. There were actually many, many events for many, many hours, uh, starting we have reports as early as 3 p.m. Uh, in the afternoon, daylight sightings of, uh, of these phenomena, also in New Mexico at 5.30 by Native Americans, 7.15 in California, 11.30, a whole crew, 11.30 p.m., a whole crew and 140 passengers uh, actually witnessed similar phenomena in Nevada, and, uh, even, and, and it continued. I mean, these, the bulk of reports obviously came in between 8 and 10 when most people were outside, but it even continued till the next morning at 5.30 a.m. when a Boeing crew was coming into uh, work uh, the next morning at Sky Harbor International Airport. They saw this object one of the objects hovering over their tarmac. So there were many, many things happening. Some people saw, and this this is another important thing to realize, that these phenomena were very low gliding. Uh, Dr. Lynn, can I ask you to speak up just a little bit? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. thank can you. Can you hear me better? That's better, thank you. Okay. Um, these phenomena were very low gliding, about rooftop level. Uh, some people did see it take off at a tremendous speed. Totally silent, by the way, whether it was orbs that were attached to something or craft, totally silent, didn't even displace the air around it. In fact, when it did take off or blink out, there was no sonic boom. It was just uncanny to the people that were right underneath it. Uh, other people actually looked up into the wells. They called them canisters, giant canisters of swimming light or gaseous type light, like nothing they've ever seen before. Uh, others actually saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it. So there were many things that were happening, uh, you know, just, just at that moment. Um, the people were seeing these things, but also the fact that these uh, phenomena were so advanced, uh, much much more advanced than anything we can even imagine, and doing, you know, maneuvers that, that just boggle the mind. But at any rate, um, this was throughout the entire state. It wasn't only in Phoenix, but what's really important to note is that while this was going on for many hours, the only hard evidence, and there was one video earlier that night that has mysteriously disappeared from the scene, but the the only hard evidence that ultimately the military could debunk, uh, and certainly skeptics could debunk, um, were the videos around 10 o'clock. Now, I had been photographing these phenomena for two years prior to the mass sighting and have incredible 35-millimeter Photographs that not only did I capture these orbs up close and personal in 1995, and if we have time, we can go into that sighting. And I, and there's a lot that surrounds not only that sighting, but also the, the pictures themselves that have been analyzed uh, extensively at university level. And um, the conclusion that Dr. Bruce McAbee, Navy optical physicist, came to as well that I'm sharing for the first time in the latest edition of my book. I've kept it private for over a dozen years since he first uh, presented the case at the MUFON International Symposium in Washington, D.C. in 1999. But uh, two months before the mass sighting, I happened to capture the same exact phenomena in the same location, head-on, turning into a V-shape. If anybody is near a computer, it can go on the Phoenix Lights Network uh, website, www.thephoenixlights.net photo page. You'll see my unique uh, collection of these phenomena that to date cannot be explained or denied. And what's interesting is that it was so unnerving because the, the formation of these equidistant lights was so massive 
and not having an explanation for the closed sighting in 95, I called around the next morning, found air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport who saw the same thing at the same time, both on January uh, 23rd and during the mass sighting, about a 1,000 feet altitude in Class B restricted airspace. Now, there's a 30-mile radius around the center of the airport that anyone that comes into that airspace, particularly a 1,000 feet altitude, must call into the tower, and nobody did. So they looked on radar, did not show up on radar. They picked up their binoculars to look and, in their own words, described six points of light totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide. It seemed to be attached to something, but they couldn't quite see what it was attached to. And you would hear that again by many people during the mass sighting. In fact, some people were right underneath uh, these crafts and, or these objects and saw the uh, in-between the orbs, the uh, sky, the, the stars were blocked out. So there was some kind of a force field or something. But at any rate, they would, they would say that this object as a unit turned against the wind. And that's exactly when I was taking the pictures, by the way, which is amazing. And one of them was a meteorologist, so we knew what he was talking about, and then moved up as a unit and in synchrony behind South Mountain, which is just south of the airport. And when I asked, so what was it? They were silenced, and then one of them said, beats me. And I said, your air traffic controllers, you're supposed to know what's in our airspace, and you didn't know what they So, so let me just ask a question here. So, so there was no radar signature, but they had visual contact? Absolutely. Wow. High-powered, yes, high-powered binoculars, both two months before the mass sighting when I captured six pictures in a row of this object phenomena head-on turning into a V, and then again on March 13th when I captured uh, the three points of light. It actually started out as the same exact six points of light, but must have turned, and by the time I got out there and focused my camera, uh, three had disappeared, and I got three, like the end lights of a giant V or triangle. Now, when going back to the to the photographic evidence, the only well, let, let's go back again to the to the mass sighting. After the mass sighting happened, it was uncanny because uh, there was no investigation, there was no explanation for months. I mean, the the the, the officials just blew it off, and and I called every single military base trying to find a logical explanation for what I had witnessed and photographed. I've always been a healthy skeptic. One must be open when you're a physician, but um, quite skeptical of, of all this and really searched uh, endlessly, meticulously for a logical explanation. They were more interested in seeing my data than giving an explanation for it. In fact, I have some of the conversations in my book, and they're quite comical. They had no idea. They were just as curious. Uh, but there was no you know, official explanation or, or investigation until, and it's interesting how the story unfolds when you really look at the data, it speaks for itself, on June 18th, so this is many months later, and, and let me just interject it on, in May, the former councilwoman vice mayor, Frances Barwood, who was the only elected official, who even just innocently, she didn't see it, but she had constituents inquiring, asked in a council meeting if they should investigate, and she was plastered to the wall. I stayed anonymous for seven years, and I was so happy that I did because anybody that came forward was made jokes of and, and ridiculed. Um, but at any rate, June 18th, a front-page USA Today article opened up our mass sighting to international scrutiny. It was the first time that people outside of Arizona heard this publicly, and we were deluged by media overnight. It was unbelievable. Just like this recent flash of light um, went viral overnight uh, that happened a couple weeks ago right before the mass sighting last week. Uh, I'm sorry, the anniversary, the 15th anniversary of the mass sighting. Um, overnight, the USA Today article went viral. And by the next morning, not only was it on every news station, morning show, etc., but by late morning, the former governor, Vice Symington, called a, an unscheduled press conference to reveal the culprit of the mass sighting. And this is the very first time that anybody said anything. And this is June, okay, June 19th. And he comes marching out, one of his aides, in a giant alien head costume <laughs> and made a mockery of the whole thing, which I have to tell you really offended many people, particularly parents who were with children 
who knew that what they saw was not of this world that they would describe over and over again. Anyway, he, was, he was still governor at the time. Right? Oh, yeah. He was okay. still governor and actually was, um, well, there's a whole history if anybody wants to look into what was happening in his life at that time. But um, at any rate, he, he does this, which is very disconcerting for the, uh, for the witnesses. And, and still, I mean, I, I still tried to do my homework. I, I went to... to universities and, and had my photos analyzed, uh, University of Arizona Optical Science Department, Consciousness Study Department, ASU Geology, Anthropology, Mathematics, Astronomy Departments, as well as the renowned Brooks Institute of Photography and Navy Optical Physicist Dr. Bruce McAbee, and nobody could give me an answer to what these were. Plus, the military was just curious, and I was calling everybody again, what's going on here? Well, about a month later, I get a call from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard. And she says, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I said, you do? And she says, oh, yes, do you believe that nobody ever looked at the logs for visiting Air National Guard and the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off flares in Operation Snowbird, which I came to learn means diversionary tactical maneuvers in military terms, so... They may have been sending off flares, but that's not what thousands of people saw statewide or described, by the way. And she said, that must be what some people saw. That was her exact words. And I said, well, were they in town in January? The Merlin National Guard. She said, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely. They were not in town. I said, well, I have 35-millimeter photographs of the same exact phenomena in the same exact location two months before the mass sighting confirmed by air traffic controllers as hovering in Class B restricted airspace a 1,000 feet altitude. She says, you never told me that. And then I said, besides that, I said, you're trying to tell me that flares, and I had educated myself to any logical explanation, including flares, which we have seen, by the way, periodically, and they look very different from the unknown. But I said, you're trying to say that flares that cannot keep a formation, that drift and drop haphazardly with the wind, that have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself and are supposed to illuminate the area around it, which not one person describes, um, traverse the entire state in a rock-solid, equidistant, mile-wide V formation for hours. She says, oh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you. Well, it's 15 <laughs> years later. I'm still waiting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I must I must say that, um, I, and I've mentioned this on the air before, Ben and I were on a commercial flight to sit. We were doing a program in San Diego. Was that 08? I have the date written down. I think it was 2008, yeah. Yeah, February. Well, no, 2009. Uh, oh, no, was it that I was a freshman in high school, so. Okay. Uh, well, in any case, that was um, an interesting experience. I'll never forget. Now, of course, it was the middle of the night. It was a red-eye flight, as you might call it. And uh, Ben was asleep on the other side of the plane, and I happened to look out the window over Phoenix, and we were just just west of the city. I mean, it's the only appreciable mass of lights in that whole vicinity at night. And there were these line of lights in the sky. I would uh, would have we were about thirty three thousand feet or so. I would have judged. It's, hard, it's very hard to judge, but uh, maybe about ten thousand feet. They they were. Um, I spent enough time in the military to know. The difference between a light and a flare, and these were not flares, because one of them was moving laterally. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them appeared to land at one point. Mm-hmm. We got to San Diego the next day, and in the paper was a report that the Phoenix lights had been seen the previous night. So <laughs> I suppose, in a way, from an odd perspective, uh, maybe I'm a witness, too. Cool. Very cool. Well, you know, they have continued, and if you go on the photo page on on my website, thephoenixlights.net. Uh, it's a very unique collection that, again, to date has not been explained and cannot be denied. In fact, the, the picture that's on the uh, book and um, uh, the original copy of the, the documentary uh, is actually, was actually captured one month after 9-11. There's an interesting story to that. But really? getting back to the, to the Phoenix Lights uh, as it unfolded was really interesting because um, again, I mean, I, I have to tell you, when she told me this, um, right after I got the call, and this was July 24th, uh, I called my sister-in-law in Delaware to wish her a happy birthday, and the first thing she said to me, now, mind you, this was not announced in, in Arizona yet, um, the first thing she says to me is, oh, Lynn, I just saw on the news that the lights in Phoenix in March were flared. 
Now, that's pretty interesting that they heard it back east before we even heard it here mm-hmm. the next morning. The next morning was was the first time that they announced it in the paper. Um, so that, that was a little interesting to me. But even after they announced it, I was still open, and so were many other people. Okay, if it's military and it was flares, do it again. Now, I knew that I had photographs not only two months before the mass sighting, but if you go to the photograph of 1995, when my husband and I were witnessing and photographing the clothes orbs that were very close, by the way, and that experience was mind-boggling in and of itself. I hope people pick up the book and, and read about it. If we have time, I'll, I'll tell you about it. But, no, no, we, uh, we have a chance but, to talk about but, that. Yeah. But in the background, if you just look at the photos, and I've always said that data speaks for itself, just look at the photos. The same exact phenomena is in the background, in the distance, disappearing as well in 1995 as they were two months the mass sighting and during the mass sighting, and I have pictures subsequently too, but at least I, at that point I had three uh, instances where I captured these phenomena, so whoever did them, did them at least three times. So, you know what? Do it again if it's military. Well, it wasn't until right before the third anniversary, and interestingly, the uh, councilwoman Barwood, she was vice mayor as well, was running for secretary of state at the time on a platform to get answers for the Phoenix Lights. And one of the things she was pushing for was a reenactment. So suddenly we get the announcement right before the third anniversary that on March the 7th, and it was supposed to be a two-week run, they were going, there were three Air National Guards, Merlin, uh, this was in New York, California, and Michigan, I believe, were coming into town to send off flares to show everyone the Phoenix Lights. Well, we were all ready for them. And if you get to the news page, on the Phoenix Lights Network uh, website and go to the second level box, the first box that says AZ Family 3, it's a CNN affiliate. They did a wonderful report last year that showed the footage of their flare drop. It was a joke. I mean, I have to tell you, <laughs> everybody was yeah, waiting very and ready. Yeah, I've seen and, that video. Yeah. yeah, they tried to make a triangle. It was upside down. It fell apart immediately. <laughs> it had huge smoke trails. Actually, one of the, one of the lights just flickered out immediately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that really, I have to tell you, was a, a huge test. Um, you know, they, they announced it publicly. I mean, this was their chance. This was their opportunity to show mm-hmm. everyone the Phoenix Lights. And they failed. And okay. Anything- well, we're going to leave it there for just a moment. If uh, Sorry to interrupt, but we're going to take sure. a commercial break. We'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hello everyone, my name is Bill Bruno and I would like you to join me and my friends every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4 because the oldies are back on WOON. The Memory Lane Show, every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4. Tell your friends that the oldies are back on WOON. One gift, a million stories. That's Amazon Kindle, folks, especially the Amazon Kindle Fire. New device released for last Christmas and still going strong, $199 at Staples and several other places as well. And we do ask that you check it out because it makes a wonderful gift for any occasion. You can get uh, movies, apps, books, newspapers, games, and much more, you name it. Of course, you can also get four of my books, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, Footsteps in the Attic, Faces at the Window, and certainly uh, anybody here in Rhode Island in our listening area, Rhode Island, a genial history, which is used in several school districts, and you might find Kind of interesting if you're into that subject. Uh, the Kindle itself is uh, even you can get as low as seventy nine dollars or even less. So check it out. It's a wonderful alternative to expensive printed books and expensive books. Uh, I should say expensive trips to the bookstore as gas goes up and up. So check it out. Okay, we're going to be back here with uh, Dr. Lynn Duman Kitai, author of the book The Phoenix Lights, and certainly considered the ex- uh, the expert on the subject of these strange mass sightings of lights over one of Amer- uh, America's eighth largest city, I believe. So, Dr. Lynn, why don't you uh, pick up where you left off and um, <clears throat> well, we'll continue you, to yes, listen after, to this riveting after, story. After the, um, the military uh, failed to reenact the mass sighting and, and actually convinced the uh, witnesses that uh, 
you know, what they saw was definitely, they knew it, but it, but it absolutely confirmed that what they uh, witnessed and uh, what just a couple of us photographed was definitely not flares. Um, you know, that, I have to tell you, after the mass sighting, when I found out thousands of people had seen what I had seen and been documenting for two years, and a week later I find out this is happening worldwide and that other countries are much more open to these phenomena as being unearthly, it really sent me on a journey to try to find a logical source of meaning for what I had witnessed and photographed. Ended up four years later, and I'm talking, I pushed my entire medical career aside to do this. Um, um, it was that, that compelling and having had a closed sighting. Uh, can, I, can I stop you there, Doctor? We have a caller. Uh, of course, it's, a, it's our mutual friend and our show reporter from your vicinity, Kyle Dayton. Is Kyle with us? Oh, yes, I am. Thank you. Oh, hi, Kyle. Well, thanks for calling in. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, actually, I'm just going to stay in the background today. I just wanted to say hello to Dr. Lynn. She's doing a wonderful job as usual. And okay. if I have any uh, hi, questions, Kyle. if you... Hi, how are you? Are you? Doing really great, good. and you're doing a fantastic job. And if I have any questions, um, I'll, I'll just jump in with that. If you don't mind, I'd like to just stay in the background. Okay. I, well, Dr. You, Lynn's doing a great job. Feel free to you. You can co-host, okay. co-host with us. No, that's that's very good. Kyle, okay. Because there's there's new information. Actually, I don't know if you if you're familiar with which I was just going to get into. But anyway, I, I I you know pushed everything aside and ended up with a 750 page journal of incredibly credible data. And we can get, it's much more than just the nuts and bolts. I mean, I I hope we have time to get into the the uh, the human aspect of this and how it really affected people. It's so I, I wanted to get back to the um, four videos around 10 o'clock because this is new information that um, actually was just reanalyzed uh, a few weeks ago by Navy optical physicist Dr. Bruce McAbee, uh, who had done the original analysis in 1998, uh, and it was uh, published in the MUFON Journal at the time. And really, um, I have to tell you, I mean, has been has muddied the waters ever since, unfortunately. And I, I adored Dr. McAbee and, and really respect his work, but unfortunately people didn't read it um, or re- really read it the way they should have read it. Um, they, what, what he, the conclusion he came to, and, and just to get the facts straight, there were two of us that captured video before 10 o'clock. Myself, I captured the three points, like the end points of a V or triangle. Steve Blonder... Another witness who actually was witnessing and photographing, filming these phenomena, these orbs, for days before, just as I was, called MUFON, and a group of MUFON researchers came up to his house, and they were out on his balcony, a second-story balcony, when suddenly this huge formation of equidistant lights formed, like an arrowhead. And you can, I mean, just look at the data, just look at the film, it speaks for itself. Yeah, just just so, in case people don't know, um, UFON is the Mutual, Mutual UFO, UFO Network. Network. It's a highly respected organization. Oh yes. So pl- yes. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. No, it's okay. And they they actually were there and captured this this arrowhead formation of these lights, and you can see that the lights are either attached to something or have a field in between, as you know, hundreds of others would describe. But but at any rate, both of us captured these videos before ten o'clock. Now about fifteen minutes later or so. Uh, two boomerang videos were captured. Now, one I have never used in any of my work because it looks like it might be a little haphazard, and, you know, if anything, you know, is questionable, I don't use it. The other one is so rock solid. I have to tell you, I mean, this, it, it, those lights seem so equidistant, and, and players just don't act that way. But nonetheless, Dr. McAbee came to the conclusion in 1998 um, after, first of all, not even having Steve Wander's arrowhead video to even consider, he looked at mine, and mine he, he ruled out as being anything close to the boomerang. It's a separate set of lights uh, in, in sequence and numbers and timing and distance and all that. So essentially, he only analyzed the boomerang, okay, and came to his conclusion that they were at a distance uh, close, you know, uh, near the gunnery range and must be flares, okay? And that's, that's what he came to in 98. Now, unfortunately, people didn't read the fine point and bunched all the videos around 10 o'clock, which were the only 
hard evidence, other than this one video that mysteriously disappeared, um, the only hard evidence that the military could debunk or debunkers could debunk um, were the videos around 10 o'clock. I mean, they could always say that people didn't know what they were looking at or it was a mirage or a blimp or whatever they want to say. But when they couldn't, they couldn't get away from the hard evidence, which was shown repeatedly after the USA Today article came out uh, around the world, okay? So they had to come up with something. And a month later is when they came up with this, with this flare thing, which whoever came up with it was brilliant because um, we were looking southward. And in the video does not do it justice. I have to tell you this. In real life, these floors were huge balls of, like, spinning energy. And like I said, people were right under them. And, and we're looking up in these wells, these giant wells of, of, of like, swimming uh, light inside these wells. Well, um, certainly very, the, the public affairs officer was not doing his or her job if the, those things were flares and, and there was no warning given to the community. Well, but that's beside the point. I mean, like I said, not one person describes flares. No, right, <laughs> no, of course not. characteristic of flares. Yeah. But that's the other thing, too. If it was military, and I've always said this from day one, and I'm open to any logical explanation, shame on them. It was right over people's heads. They yeah. would not deploy flares over a populated area. But besides that, okay, now getting back to, to Dr. McAbee's analysis, he just reanalyzed, and that there actually was a group of people, um, of investigators that have been looking at this data with... Uh, GPS and um, Google Earth, and uh, Steve Blonder has actually gone on himself uh, to analyze, and he's working with mutual UFO network uh, analysis um, expert uh, as well. And if you go onto the homepage on the phoenixplace.net uh, net, uh, website and go down to the bottom, you will see the link to his study and his analysis, and he also has Dr. McAbee's latest analysis there as well, where he confirms, uh, again, he does not have Steve's video, but he confirms that my video is a separate uh, set of lights than the boomerangs, and he again confirms that the boomerangs are at a distance, even further than he thought, close to the Barry Goldwater range and are most likely flares, and he's sticking to it. Um, whereas my video is a different set of lights it's near over Phoenix, and certainly when you combine the reports from the air traffic controllers that it was over Class B airspace, um, it, it was over Phoenix, and that uh, it, it remains unidentified, which is huge. So yeah. you know we have we have that substantiated now. So I hope that people will will you know separate and, and those that educate themselves. And it's so funny because when people. You know, and, and it's usually the bunkers or the hard-nosed skeptics that haven't looked at the data will blow off the whole, you know, uh, mass sighting or at least part of it is being flared. Um, you know, and I know that they haven't looked at the, at the data. They haven't looked at my book, and they haven't really yeah. studied what happened here. So I hope that people will actually pick up the book because I, I took that Certainly. 700. Yeah, it is available around. And certainly Dr. Bruce McAbee is, is a highly credible and a former military analyst and is known in this area because he, uh, he's been on our show and he's, uh, graduate of the Worcester Polytechnic Institute, which is in, in our listening area and people there know him and he's, he's again a highly credible, uh, fellow. Oh yeah. He's May I mention to, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Dr. McAbee was supposed to be one of the speakers at the, uh, recent, uh, UFO conference here that was held at Fort McDowell in, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, but he was a no-show. I don't know why, but, uh, Stan Romanek and Lisa Romanek took his place, but, it would have oh, okay. been interesting to hear from him this time about that. Didn't realize that. I haven't, haven't talked to him lately. Uh, hopefully he's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah I, you know, I, I was looking forward to it too. The International UFO Congress. I was speaking there as well, and and mentioned him several times in, in my yes. uh, lecture because not only did he reanalyze uh, the only hard data that we we have to date of of the mass sighting, but um, he went back uh, actually in '98 and analyzed close sighting pictures that I have from the 1995 sighting. And what he came up with at that point, which I never shared with a soul until just recently when I came out with the latest edition, the third edition of my, my book, I didn't want to write a new book. I wanted to let people read the original 750-page journal that I squeezed down the best of what I found since 230 pages. But there's an additional chapter that talks about new sightings, including uh, Illinois and Ohio and Stephenville. I'm going to be talking at the um, 
2012 Women's UFO Symposium in Glen Rose, Texas on May 19th and 20th. Uh, that's going to be a, a really fun uh, time that Paula Harris is, is organizing and uh, talk about the similarity of the Stevensville sighting to the mm-hmm. Phoenix sites. But, um, and certainly our, our former governor who marked the sighting, who knocked the sighting in 1997, came forward right after the 10th anniversary to say that he actually saw <laughs> one of the crafts and that it was, in his own words, quote, unquote, otherworldly. And he was a pilot in the military. So that was interesting and a big step forward, uh, in, in my opinion, and mm-hmm. getting some credible information out there and really okay. um, making the, 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 uh, the sighting stand out worldwide. Indeed. Well, I wanted about. to work in a few more questions here because we're almost, you know, we're burning up the hour here. So, Well, I, well let me just say, just say one thing. That, that Dr. McAbee analyzed my closed sighting and presented the case, and I can't get into detail. I hope people will read it. And the 21-page report is on the, on the website, but I go into it in, in the book. Uh, in 1999 at the MUFON International Symposium in Washington, D.C., as the first authenticated photographic evidence ever of missing time. And there's a whole story behind that. That's interesting. That. Yeah. And uh, it, it is interesting because, um, you know, I did, never shared it with a soul. And, and But now that quantum physics and quantum mechanics is starting to catch up uh, with string theory and, and bubble theory and so forth, that there might be other dimensions out there, 10 or 11 other dimensions. Um, first of all, uh, maybe this data is important to show that linear time isn't real time. The past, present, and future is our concept of time. But also, if there's other times and spaces along with ours, then maybe it's not such a leap to think that there's other intelligences in those other times and spaces. No, we certainly that we agree. Get glimpses of seen if it, we're open. To <laughs> we've seen it firsthand ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ben, go ahead. Okay. So, have there been any known copycats or hoaxes of the Phoenix Lights? Uh, maybe elsewhere, but you know, not here. I mean, here the only thing that that I'm familiar with, and I have documented these phenomena since, and there certainly had, even um, if you go on the photo page and look at the sunset pictures that I took, um, which are pretty spectacular in two different roles in 2000, uh, November and December, I, was, I collect sunsets. I have like five or six books of sunsets, and I did not see this in the uh, uh, sky when I was looking, but they're in the negatives on two different roles. In the, in the, well, you know, I have to tell you. I have to tell you, Doctor, that, that there were three videos. I believe there were three. I'd have to look them up, and, and I, I know I was trying to write all this down for this show, but I just have, didn't have time, but maybe I'll, we can talk off the air. But there were three videos you sent to us two years ago when you were on, and they were just as spectacular as you have said. But there were several frames in which one can very clearly see a propeller-driven airplane, small plane, with three bright lights ranging along oh, the wings. Oh, that was me. I mean, that was yeah, me. I was going to say, aside from the fact oh, that it's illegal. Oh, me. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, what, yes. What was, yeah, please, can you explain that? I mean, that that was some sort of experiment or what? Are you asking oh. me? Oh, who, who no, are you uh, asking? Oh, was that, was that you, Kyle, who sent those? Yes, that, that oh, was Oh, my apologies. My, okay, I, I, I'm you sorry. Know, I want, no, that's okay. And, I'm you glad know, you're on. With, oh, well, that's okay. I wanted to agree with Dr. Kita. You know, we live out here in the Arizona Triangle or UFO Triangle in the yeah. area between... Gila Bend, Sacatona, Casa Grande, and west of me is uh, the Goldwater Air Force Range. And I mean, any 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 person with half a brain can know when they're flares. And they're flares, they're flares. They, sure. they zip up there. It's like they're being shot out of something, and they zip around the air, and they disappear in a couple seconds. But the the unlike you know, Doctor Doctor Lynn's uh, Phoenix Lights and the video that I've captured here, flares do not defy gravity. And yes, and, and with my with my video, I did I did add the the planes to that to show the comparison of the. the oh, okay. Well, that explains. That's what I thought it yes, was. Yeah. Okay. But several right, minutes you're both at very a time in the people. sky. Yeah. Yes, but that was me. But but Dr. Lynn is right. You know, they just give you the runaround and. and they're, oh, they're I know. Players. I've been in the military. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, let, let's. I just we have just a few minutes here. I want to give Dr. Lynn a chance to talk about her book. Uh, but what, as we always ask on this show, what is the real story here. What's really going on? You, you have, you have uh, made a jump. You and many of the folks who, uh, f- who are, um, I suppose, uh, I suppose, involved in exopolitics, as it's called. Perhaps you could explain that term first of all. And secondly, uh, you seem to have made a jump to thinking this is a very positive event. Could you talk about? It's not. It's not a jump. It's the facts. 
Um, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't trust. Well, me, what's the trouble me, with aliens? You just can't trust them. I mean, I, let me, let me explain. Please, because I, you know, I just deal with the data, and people can decide for themselves. I'm not trying to convince anybody of, of anything. Okay, I'm yep. meticulously detailed and took a diary every single day of everything, of yep. media, uh, of witness accounts. We haven't really gotten into that, but um, what was fascinating is in real time, in real time. Um, there was a positive transformation, and that's when I when I when I talk about you know we it's time to go beyond the nuts and bolts of this because Absolutely. yes it's, it's yeah. wonderful to to know we have um, you know aerial phenomena that's advanced in the, in, in our uh, airspace. But well, can I stop you there? I, I, I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but what do you mean by advanced? Um, there are things flying in our air, and maybe in from other dimensions as well that have aerodynamic maneuvers that are far beyond anything that we have here. See, I don't and agree with it. Advancement to us is moral, ethical, and spiritual advancement. No, that's the, the whole, I'm talking about technology nuts and bolts. Well, the now, Nazis far, had technology, and if, if they have the standards of, of the Nazis, then I'm not at all at home with them, even though they I have don't know advanced you, technology. I don't even know where you're going with that, but I won't even address well, I mean, you know, it, um, but Wait, can I, can I finish? Well, yes, if there's time, sure, please go ahead. Um, that what was curious to me is that in real time, what was happening to the witnesses statewide is that six months before the mass sighting, and this is fascinating when you when you look at the data, and that's all I can do, um, but six months before the movie Independence Day came out, and children were usually the ones to see this massive information coming towards them, and they were scared, like, that, like doc, Dr. Gary Schwartz, who is very eloquent in the documentary. He's the head of the conscious study department down at the University of Arizona, makes a statement, if we're afraid of something and then we see something we're afraid of, how do you think we're going to react? Well, kids were scared, and they were jumping up and down, Independence Day, Independence Day. But as the phenomena got closer, and as especially when it was over them, a calmness took over everyone, not only children, but the adults as well. And as it passed by, I mean, people were in awe. They were in wonder. They were joyous. They, they felt blessed seeing what they were seeing. There has not been one, not one report in 15 years of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights. That okay, itself right. is very telling. And, you know, I can only report what, what I've, you know, gathered and what certainly I've been very intimately involved with this. But after it passed, the kids wanted to run after it. They wanted their kids, to, you know, parents to get in the car. And long-term, when you look at the long-term transformation as well, the mass sighting here, and, and when these phenomena, and I make a study of it in my book, not only of what happened here. Yeah, you do. I, mean, I have read the book, yeah. But a connection between all unexplained phenomena. If you remember, um, a number of the witnesses that had near-death experiences as children, it was reawakened by the mass sighting, and I did too. And I go into detail about my own near-death experience, mm -hmm. yep. which may or may not be connected, but be that as it may, it was fascinating to me and curious that so many other people had the same kind of experience. And I thought, wow, could, could there possibly be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena that have a mystical light associated with them. And if you, you, know, if you read my book, I, mean, I found credible studies at university level, the Omega Project by Dr. Kenneth Ring and other works by Dr. Raymond Fowler and Dr. Bruce Grayson, et cetera, that really substantiated not only the experience being similar, and I lay out very simply, but the after effect is so positive, the awakening, the enlightenment that happens within an individual who truly experiences an unexplained phenomena experience, that it changes them forever. And Does it, it Well, it changes them forever, so it, it lasts. Oh, yeah. Uh, because you know, you know, one one can one can make the same analogy to converting to Marxism or converting to some cult, and I've seen it. Believe me, in forty two years no, of this, I mean, this isn't like I just, that I, at just all. I just, I just People have. Just, well, I hope you're right because I just, I just, uh, I, I just don't trust. Nobody, I think a lot of this stuff needs there, to be tested. Nobody's out there, you know, beating a drum or forming a cult. People have just been aware that we're not alone. I hear you. I hear you. And, and, you know, I remember with uh, Stan Dale, the geologist, he has uh, uh, information on his website about he, how he had a dream. This is where I think Paul is going with this. He had a dream that was where the, we were being fooled, basically. We were we had a visitation, and it was basically the, the great deception. So that was his opinion on a mass sighting that wasn't a very good mass sighting. People were convinced that it was 
positive and loving in this and that. So I think that's where Paul is going. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle loves me I do, better than I do, well, well, see, but I do agree with Dr. Lynn that I, I you know, the, the sightings that we see here, I think they're advanced. There's something else going on here. They're not just flares. I absolutely agree with Dr. Kitai, and I'm hoping that she is right, absolutely, because I, well, I, I, I right believe too. that that's absolutely possible. But I know where you're going with that because I remember yeah. Stan Dale's dream. Well, so, I respect what you, you both say because you, you, both, you both live there. I don't. I've only seen it once. Yeah. Ben, you are one who is very up on spiritual events. What do you say about all this? I don't. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. I you don't were really... asleep. You didn't see the lights. <laughs> no, I. Well, yeah, I, I was asleep, and I didn't. That and some large guy was like taking up the entire <laughs> set, like the entire aisle, so I couldn't really move yeah. even if I wanted. Cattle to. class on the good old airplanes. Anyway, basically, I had to huddle yeah. up for dear life. All right. Well, anyway, so uh, we respect what you say. It just you know, in in in. 42 years of learning the hard way that nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be, I naturally have a little bit of caution, maybe a lot of caution, with anything, not just this, but any of these events that people... You know, however, again, you know, if it affects people positively, we advise people to do that. If there is love there, if it affects people positively, and if it lasts and it, it remains true to itself, then I think you've got something. So yeah, you, I, no, I think you. No, and that's all. You know. That's all that I could put out there in 15 years. There has not been one report of harm, threat, or abduction. It's okay, been I respect total that. Total opposite. And when you look at the history of these phenomena, I mean, I, you know, there's so much to this, and I do hope that that people pick up the book because six months before the mass sighting, I presented my substance abuse program. I've been doing this. For vital health issues, the community education for 35 years. And, yeah, and go, so go ahead and talk about the book on the website. Well, the, the, the book, The Phoenix Place, The Skeptics Discovery That We Are Not Alone, uh, the latest edition has, is just packed with, with information, the most credible information. And it's very well written, too. Speaking, thank you, speaking thank you. as an editor. <laughs> well, and, and you can see, and it's helped people transform to the positive as well. I mean, I, when you, when you, when you go through what I've gone through, um, there are millions of people out there who have had an experience that's real to them, and that was one of the reasons I came forward as well as a physician, is to say you're not alone, and, and it's important to share with one other person. Uh, most things can be explained, um, but there's a small percentage that cannot, and just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. And, you know, it's time we move forward and acknowledge that something's going on here. Uh, address it and, and accept it and study it. So we can move forward. And so so that's where this is. That's where this is going. But I still, I just w- would ask you to consider the idea that advancement does not mean technological advancement. I never said. Well, you know, you know I, I'm just putting the data out there, and people can decide. For no, no, I respect and, that. Okay. And, and I have to say that, um, you know, we are what we think. <laughs> Dr. Ruth Hover, God yes. bless her soul. She just, she just passed, and she uh, was running a, a contact group for years, and she's in a documentary, and she makes a very poignant statement a very poignant statement that I hope your listeners will listen to. When somebody tells you their experience, it tells more about them than it does about the experience. Yes. If someone is an angry type person, they're going to be pissed off. How dare they do this to me? If somebody is a fearful type person, they're going to be afraid and freak out. But if you're open and have an open heart and an open mind, which is really the first step in this, because when you look through history, and I was just starting to say Native cultures, have believed that there are intelligences, and these orbs have been in history and etched on petroglyphs centuries ago. Quite true. These rays are called, that were, were named for star, because they believe that it's the gateway to the stars in that area, and when you look at my data, and all you have to do is look at it, in science we look for repeatability. My pictures keep popping up, show that these phenomena keep popping up in the same location, and when I called the Gila River Indian Reservation, which I had presented my substance abuse, prevention program to six months before the mass sighting and asked if they saw anything, they started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? And they said, are you kidding? Not only did we look up at them during the mass sighting, but we've been seeing them for centuries. We call mm-hmm. them sky people. Like yeah. I'm afraid I have to stop you here because we're out of time. But it's thank you, Dr. Lynn, for being out. Thank you, Kyle, for joining us as well. Thank you. It's been fascinating. We're going to have to do this again because there is more information to be told, I'm sure. So let's uh, let's reschedule another show and we'll be in touch. But thank you for a fascinating uh, look at this amazing and important phenomenon. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Keep keep looking up. Keep looking <laughs> up. That's right. Look at the data. There's so much more to this story. Thank you for letting me share it. Very good. You're welcome. Keep watching this, guys. Okay, folks, we're coming down to the end of the hour here, but we wanted to tell you that our show newsletter called Good Spirits is about to reappear. 
but many names and email addresses were lost during our system transition last summer. So if you subscribed before August 2011, please do so again at the show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. Look for the Get Our Newsletter link at the upper right. And again, this is an email newsletter. It doesn't come in the mail. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Ben. Well, also, if you live in the uh, north, northern New England or northeastern uh, New York or southern Quebec, my dad and I will be appearing at the Kellogg Hubbard Library in Montpelier, Vermont, on Saturday, May 5th, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. This is going to be a series of presentations that's going to take us uh, quite a distance away. We're going to end up in England as well uh, in September, and uh, sort of a town hall, our regular presentations on the paranormal and, and my long experience with it. Now Ben's getting a long experience too. Uh, that will involve town hall-style meetings uh, in areas where we have reason to believe that unusual and unusual amounts of paranormal activity are taking place. Uh, that's why we're planning the locations of these. Uh, watch BehindTheParanormal.com and the Good Spirits newsletter for more information. Okay, also check our website. We have nearly 400 free podcasts of all our shows. So thanks again to our producer, Ben himself, again this evening. We'll see you next Monday, March 26th, right here on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com when Ben and I will welcome back author and animal communicator Karen Anderson, always a favorite guest. Uh, One of our subjects will be especially fascinating. Can animals testify in court? You think you've seen everything today? Well, here comes this. Don't laugh. Karen is a former police officer and feels that that could happen, so don't miss that one. I'm pretty excited about that show. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited. So on our regular CBS uh, radio edition on Sunday, March 25th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, uh, my dad and I will host an open-line show on all the questions paranormal. Okay, and we leave you this evening with a quote from Lewis Carroll, author of number of poems, of course, and Through the Looking Glass being one, Alice in Wonderland. If you don't know where you are going, any road will get you there. Unquote. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.